Ryan Wellmans is the co-founder and CEO of SoPro, the award-winning B2B prospecting service that's transformed email marketing from the granddad of digital to lead generation powerhouse. As anyone who has listened to Ryan previously will know, he brings together the rare combination of deep technical expertise with a relentless commercialism. In short, if you're interested in understanding the power of email for driving B2B sales, Ryan is the only source of insight you need. In this interview, we'll be asking Ryan about the reason email prospecting has never been more powerful, the secrets to a successful campaign, and how to stay on the right side of GDPR while still driving serious ROI. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. So I want to start with a fairly kind of open question to begin with. So email marketing has been around forever in digital terms, you know, about a quarter of a century. And for many brands, continues to be the number one route to market. I just wonder, do you see that changing anytime soon? Are there any technologies on the horizon that could either threaten the role of email or indeed make it even more impactful? Good question. It's a bit of an evolutionary space as it is. I mean, you mentioned last 25 years. Absolutely. I think the email marketing of 25 years ago, you almost wouldn't recognize modern email marketing in that. And obviously it was was almost exclusively above the line, you know, not particularly personalized, generally kind of, you know, mass mail outs. And we're sort of evolved into today. Um, Certainly the SoPro uh, version of email marketing is highly personalized, super targeted, really high response rates from a very, you know, almost like a, a sort of sniper rifle approach. To, uh, to getting messages out. So I think there's there's a lot of a lot of changes that have taken place and, and plenty more still in the pipeline. What's going to threaten it? I think regs have, have cleaned up the space a bit in, in recent years. Um, I know with the introduction of GDPR, for example, there was probably a kind of short-term reduction in outbound activity while companies kind of found their feet and, and got some assurances that actually they weren't going to be you know, hauled off to jail or subject to big fines for doing marketing on the uh, particularly on the b2b side so that is yeah something that's taken a while for people to kind of really get the confidence back on that front um i think um, i think a few years ago people would have said social is going to take over you're just going to message people directly through this platform or linkedin or um wherever else you might be able to engage with them and again you know has that really taken shape i don't know what your LinkedIn inbox is, is looking like these days, but <laughs> mine's a, a pretty unholy um, sort of bun fight of connection requests. And yeah, I, th- I think it's perhaps a bit more spammy than is going to likely to be, be effective in marketing nowadays. So there's not too much threat coming from that side. Um, yeah, I, I think you're actually going to see email marketing go from strength to strength. I think right now, cost per sale or cost per meeting, however you want to measure the kind of contribution to your marketing funnel from a particular channel. Email has consistently reduced. So I think pretty much right now it's at its most effective point. Um, Generally, it's the lowest cost per whatever your metric is compared to any of the other channels in play. And that's only coming down. It's going from strength to strength. Certainly over the next decade, you're going to see more of it. Um, And it's just going to continue to improve itself. I find this really interesting, right? Because as you say, like not so long ago, everyone was sort of predicting the death of email as a consequence of social. Um, I think it's fair to say that generally the emergence of one channel rarely leads to the destruction of another, right? Like, you know, television didn't kill theater or, you know, or radio or like these things tend to add to the ecosystem as opposed to, you know, sort of cannibalize one another. That said, there's no question that, um, as you say, email for many brands is actually achieving perhaps more than it's ever achieved before, which I think 
certainly few people, myself included, probably would have predicted. Why is that? Like the technology hasn't fundamentally altered. What is it that's enabling smart brands, I say smart brands, because clearly it's not working for everybody, to actually make more effective use of this than they ever have in the past? Yeah, I think it's just the approach that's evolved. So the SoPro business model is predicated on um, you know, the, we we wanted to build the the unimprovable sequence. You know, what would it look like if you had access to all of the technology, all of the people, the experience, the processes? You know, what would be the unimprovable way that you could put B two B outreach in place? An email formed a big part of that. But even kind of back then, it was obvious that things like personalization were going to play a huge part. Right, and twenty five years ago, they weren't really in the frame. But nowadays. You, you know, you've got a prospecting platform in place in most cases. I think we're past the stage where email outreach or email prospecting is a is a set of processes and a couple of people. You know, it really is a it's a platform that's highly sophisticated. It's very very bespoke tech that's going to do one thing really well, and yeah, all of a sudden you can then pretty quickly and easily incorporate you know really high degrees of personalization into your messaging. You make them totally conversational. I think in the you know days gone by, you were seeing a lot of marketing emails going out. They looked like marketing emails, and they were you know really great descriptions of products or services. And you know using that kind of text that, that works really well on a website because you want to explain all of your features and you know, perhaps throwing special offers into those emails as well. And you know it's a bit of time urgency. You know get get, get back to us now. And, and actually that that stuff doesn't really work um, to generate responses from email now. You've got to, you know, you drop someone a note and say, you know, hi, Dan, I'm, I'm just around the corner from you. I'd love to catch up. It'd be great to grab a coffee. How are you doing next week, half an hour next Thursday? And I think it might be able to help you with this or help you with that. That's the kind of thing that's going to get a response because it's human to human, right? It's a person. It's not, you know, you haven't even really mentioned the product or service or any of that marketing stuff. Um, so I think we've moved into a far more sophisticated, more conversational um, approach to this channel in general. I think that has played a huge part in the, in the overall acceptance of it from a recipient's perspective um, and success rate as well. And then there's just other things like um, once you've got a prospecting platform in place, it's going to handle things like deliverability, right? So long gone are the days of, in fact, I'm at risk of naming a high volume um, kind of e email sending platform. Obviously, um, in the old days, you could very easily land in a junk folder or not make it into the inbox and and really it's it's kind of game over you know if you're not getting into the inbox yeah you're not being read uh, so that's a it's, a it's a game changing thing and i think the idea of having a platform that handles deliverability testing you know things like domain warm-up so one of the things that sopro have we've got an email awesomeness checker which is going to check the text contents and email you know the, the actual kind of code wrapper for any given email that is well before it goes anywhere near being sent just to ensure that actually it is going to make it into an inbox. So we'll take out any terms that are known to be likely to trigger an inbox spam filter. You know, to be able to kind of platformize these things, you're so far from the old days of email marketing now that the results are just immeasurably different. Yeah. I think what I love about this is, and I think this is true of 99 out of every 100 you know, transformations, is if you take each component of tech in isolation, is probably not that new, but I guess it's the process and the way that you've assembled that and the underlying kind of systems that have enabled you to achieve something new. It's the power of tiny games. So it's one of our central mantras of our business. If you chip away at 
this percentage, you've got 2% over there. Where are you getting your emails from? How new is your data? And before you know it, the compounding effect of every single one of these tiny gains, and you, you know, you're, you're 200% up on your overall campaign output. And we obsess over this stuff. So campaign optimization, for example, it's obvious that not every campaign is going to hit the floor running, right? You're going to need to tweak something. But the impact of actually having a clear data set that shows you campaign performance by industry, for example, or by job title, by company size, or by geographic region, looking at the delivery rates, open rates, response rates, lead rates on a kind of segmented basis like that. You do that at the end of week one, at the end of week two, you'll double your performance in month two every single time just by switching off the segments of data that are not providing you with good output and doubling down on sectors that are being responsive. It sounds obvious, but you need the tech to do it. And that tech wasn't there a long time ago. Yeah. And it strikes me that that's powerful stuff from a sales perspective as well in terms of your messaging to your customers, right? Because you're able to remove a lot of the uncertainty and guesswork there. The fact that you can say that, you know, do this, achieve X. In this sector, it looks a bit like ABC, et cetera, et cetera. And you only really get that with that degree of kind of specialism and channel focus that, I mean, so much attention has gone on to kind of overarching content strategies in the last 10 years and for good reason, right? But I, I love it when you kind of get these examples of actually just a brand or a company or a platform just absolutely nailing one particular channel <laughs> yeah i think so and actually so our content strategy is literally that i mean our we we put so much effort into just publishing our stats so we publish all of our live cross campaign stats directly to the website they update every day you can go and look at performance by sector um it gives a lot of a lot of confidence in you know if i was looking at a campaign in this sector to this sort of target base i can see that actually uh, it's going to come in at, at this kind of lead rate and i can translate that into a cost per lead or a cost per opportunity pretty easily. Um, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely useful. We've released another, it's called the State of Prospecting. Uh, this is another stats center on our website recently where you can literally slice and dice. It's interactive. You can look at the data every which way you can you can imagine and, and review it um, you know, by region. And you look at it over the last five years, you know, what, what's changed, what are the trends? It's, I think it's, it's very useful. So... I guess getting into some of the specifics about um, what makes a, a really effective email campaign, and I apologize because I'm sure you, you must have answered this question 5,000 times before, but it's, I guess it is the question, right? So, so if you had to kind of narrow it down to like three or four things that you were like, get these things right, and you've got a great foundation, what might those three or four things be? Um, okay, so... I I mean, to start with, so what is a prospecting campaign? Yeah, at, at its most fundamental, you're going to identify and engage with the right people in the right companies and, and generate conversations with them. So it's got to start with your targeting. So defining that target base, and you'll have a good idea of that. Most businesses have got a sense of kind of where they're targeting. Um, it's worth interrogating that. And then within those businesses, the specific job titles that, um, that you're going to go after. Um, but once you've turned that sort of, targeting into a list of people, which is no mean feat. You've then got to source the contact details for, for all of those prospects, right? And it's not a case of, um, you know, let's say we've got 20,000 people in our CRM because we've been doing this for the last 20 years and, and great, we've got all of our data there already. We'll just plug it into an emailing system. That, that will never work because the way that data works, it's, got, it's almost like a, has a radioactive half-life, right? You wait a year and 50% of it's out of date. People change jobs every couple of years on average now. It's just a transitional um, environment that 
yeah, your data just degrades at such a rate of knots. You've got data that's 20 years old. Literally, you can be in situations where 80% of it can be out of date. You end up blacklisting your domain because you're firing emails out to email addresses that no longer exist and all sorts of stuff. So build your email and contact details fresh for your campaign. That's probably thing number one um, because you're not getting anywhere unless unless that's the approach you're taking. The next, I would say, it's got to be deliverability. It's got to be your technical setup. If you're not getting into the inbox, you're not, Nobody's reading anything. So you know, depending on how you're sending your messaging, you need to be warming up your domain. Um, but, you know, there's quite a few things. Um, you've got to get your DKIM records and your, your SPF records set in your DNS so that your, your emails are going to be recognized by a recipient email server. And so there's usually a bit of technical involvement there that yeah, you just can't, you can't overlook the importance of. And we see it happening so many times where we're talking to new clients and then, well, we tried this and we just we weren't going into the inbox. and okay, well, actually, you've missed the whole kind of section of setup that is um, yeah, maybe not obvious, but it's absolutely critical. Um, so, yeah, deliverability testing, personalization. You're not going to get anything response-wise unless you're you know, just a, a totally personalized and, and conversational approach. That's probably number three. I think I've touched on it just now. So let's see if I can come up with a couple of other Bonus ones. I think who in your business is managing this channel? And you've got to think of prospecting as a channel. And it sits alongside, you know, perhaps your PPC or your events or all the other channels that you might be running. And it's not something that's five minutes a day or an hour a week. Once it's established, it's gen it's de definitely going to be your primary go-to-market channel. It will be where you're identifying more prospects than any other channel, engaging with more and delivering more opportunities into your sales pipeline than any other channel. So it needs to take center stage and that means you've got to allocate bandwidth resource to it um either that or hire the experts to you know have somebody doing it for you it's going to involve multiple people and you know potentially more than a full-time role to actually do it properly and yeah so taking it seriously is a must and then and probably the last one is just you've got to use a platform now i'd say 20 years ago it was always a choice you would use excel or you might use microsoft access instead of a crm system because actually yeah it's just a just a database and you can kind of, you know, you've got your contacts and you store a status of when the last time you spoke with them, you know. But nowadays, if you look at the, even the free version of HubSpot, for example, as a CRM um, stack, it's just, it's insanely functional. The, the stuff that it does, it integrates with your website and your marketing systems. And who builds a CRM nowadays? You just wouldn't go anywhere near that as a challenge, as a project. And I think B2B outreach and, you know, in particular prospecting is at that stage where you just need a platform. Uh, that handles everything, all of this stuff for you, um, rather than trying to do it in-house. I listened to another of your interviews, and um, there's one particular point you made, which is very specific, but it really resonated with me because I've seen this go so badly wrong in the past with different companies, particularly where they perhaps haven't really done a lot of email marketing in the past. Um, and that's, you made a recommendation of actually using a slightly separate domain so that if you, just to kind of mitigate the risk a little bit, um, I just wonder if you could expand on that because I think that's a major fear factor for a lot of businesses is like, oh, if we start doing this, you know, what are the potential risks that we might encounter? It'd be interesting just to hear you talk through that a little. Yeah, so that's the approach that we'll take with most of our client activity. It tends to run through an alternative to primary domain. Um, and what that means is, yeah, it's just a, a, a domain variant that's similar. And actually, a lot of companies now, they'll have two or three on ice ready for marketing activity when needed. And that's a sensible approach to take. You don't need hundreds, but you just need a few. Um, 
I guess the the critical thing here, you know, the real danger that you're looking to avoid with this is blacklisting your primary domain, right? Because then all of a sudden you can't, you know, even your your standard day to day emails that you're sending to clients and and, and whatnot are are not going to be arriving or they're not going to be arriving to the inbox. Um, so yeah, in order to do that, you would message from a, an alternative domain. Just keeps things safe. I would say there's other things that you can do because you, you still want to keep those domains in, in good working order because it is a pain to have to migrate to another one. Um, so you do things like you warm up a domain prior to starting to use it. So for a few weeks before, you just get kind of email activity running in and out of an account. That does make a difference to when your campaign starts its initial deliverability. You've got to, so our, we have email deliverability testers and a lot of the time, the difference between scoring a 10 out of 10 and, a, and an eight and a half out of 10 might be that there's one or two, there's, there's kind of um, blacklist services out there that might be listing your domain and then you can apply and get yourself delisted. And so that, or, you know, or if, you know, if you're, you're listed somewhere where you know you're not going to be able to get off that list, then you've potentially got a reason to, to migrate. Um, but you've got to stay ahead of that side of things. There's the way that you're constructing your actual email. Is it going as an, you know, an HTML email? Is it being sent in the form of an Outlook email or a Gmail email? Yeah, they, and they all they all arrive looking slightly different to a recipient mail server. That does come into play um, when it's making its decisions. Um, got to keep your volumes down. So if you're sending if you're sending thousands of emails, tens of thousands of emails a month, um, you're very quickly going to start to not land in an inbox. So. Yeah, we keep it down to, we typically keep our campaigns down to a rate that a typical salesperson would be able to do if they were dedicated to finding and sending email. You know, you'd probably be able to do maybe 50 a day, um, something like that. So that's usually the amount that we'll structure a campaign to deliver. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a whole kind of world of science that goes into this um, deliverability. And yeah, using alternative email domains is, is just one, actually. The, the approach that we take for SoPro um, and, and in particular for larger clients of ours, we might have multiple email domains in use at any one point in time and we sort of load balance across those. Um, so it's a slightly more, um, it's, it gets a little bit more complex at scale, but yeah, that's, that's the approach that you then take rather than kind of putting a lot of activity through a single domain. So um, my next question actually kind of follows on from this a little bit. Obviously, particularly since the origins of, of GDPR, what was it? May 2018 or so, so a few years ago now, a lot of businesses became extremely cautious with with email marketing. Maybe, in my opinion, in some cases, perhaps excessively uh, cautious. I just wonder, um, it is different within a B2B context compared to a, a consumer context. How should B2B brands take full advantage in light of GDPR and any other regulations? How should they continue to take advantage of the kind of unique opportunities presented by email without stepping over that line so for example you know you've got tools you know like hunter and scrap and you know various tools to like scrape data from around the web the interesting thing that i often find is this is a subject where the vast majority of people understandably at least in public adopt a very kind of um safe uh position and yet i i'm very aware of of quite a few companies that are extremely aggressive in how they they approach these things and have taken a lot of value from it. I just wonder for an established B2B brand that probably has to err a little bit on the side of conservatism, where does that line sit and how do they how do they maintain that without just, you know, not taking advantage of the the opportunities? I like it. Erring on the side of conservatism 
Um, so I think it can't, you, you've got to start with having total confidence in where the red lines are. There's almost a few areas that you need to understand. So what data am I allowed to process? Where am I allowed to obtain it from? What am I allowed to do with it um, in terms of marketing messaging? Because there are different, so the GDPR covers some of those things, but then in the UK, we've got PECR, uh, which is the marketing rule set that governs what, what you can send to who and under what circumstances. And then, yeah, those rules differ between B2B and B2C. So you've got this kind of myriad scenario, different rules. Uh, and that's just in the UK. Look at, you start looking at kind of multinational campaigns and going to Europe and the US. You know, very quickly, you've got to understand lots of laws and lots of places. So, yeah, it gets complex quickly. You just have to understand totally, totally the rules in every location that you're you're targeting. Either you do it yourself or or you, you know, work with a partner like us that know it. What that then gives you is confidence to sail as close to the wind as, as you want. And that you you can move your campaign to its most performant state within those rails of kind of legal acceptability. So that's generally the approach that we take. And there's not too much um that's left to kind of interpretation or you know it's ambiguous of this rule set or that rule set you really just need to know what you can do in each location and then brilliant go and do everything up to that and no further um so for example there are a couple of countries in europe that you're not going to be able to directly email with uh, marketing communications so just exclude them you've got other channels that will get you into those places but where you can you should take full advantage of that the important thing to understand, which wasn't well understood at the point, as you mentioned, in 2018 when GDPR came in, was this difference between B2B and B2C, because that's that's huge. And we're exclusively in the B2B space. It's a game changer because you, you can do email outreach in B2B. You can't without consent in B2C. It's also worth everybody understanding that there's a you, know, you are fine to process personal information. There isn't a, a law outlawing that or anything like that. You just need to be able to demonstrate why you're doing it. And there are, I think there's six legal bases for processing personal data. And there's one that very nicely suits uh, B2B marketing, which is legitimate interest. And you can very easily conduct a legitimate interest assessment on your campaign. We do this for every client campaign. We do it for our own activity to assess and validate that you know you have got legitimate interest to process this personal data. You're totally confident then when inevitably you're going to get a request from a, a customer, an angry recipient saying, oh, where did you get my data from? Or why have you got this, you know, GDPR, you're not allowed to process it. And actually there's just a, a reasonable, polite response that can inform that customer. Well, actually in the B2B space, totally fine. You've got legitimate interest basis for processing. And actually we are allowed to contact you under the PECR's B2B exemption from consent requirements. Um, it's really straightforward when you're armed with, and, and actually we encourage my, um, all of our clients just to have, like we'll, we'll supply a, a set of template responses for those kind of inevitable rare events where um, you're going to get a response that you've got to handle. Because that can be stressful. You know, you're going into B2B email uh, outreach for the first time and, and sometimes it might, you know, it might be kind of week one, you've got somebody um, you know, saying, well, you know, how, how, why are you doing this? And you without the answers, actually, that's a... Yeah, that's a, a, a quite an alarming thing to, to go through. It really isn't anything to stress about. Stepping back from email slightly, I just wonder to what degree it should be aligned with the broader content strategy, broader brand activity across other channels. And you've kind of alluded to this previously, so I think I have a sense of what you might say, but do you view it as a kind of distinct channel with a distinct tool with you know very specific 
goals and metrics, or should it be considered part of the broader set of touch points with the overarching content and perhaps kind of influencer strategy feeding into all of those channels of which email is just one? Yeah, so we've we've probably done kind of every version of this over the years, um, sort of totally isolated email outreach and then you know, campaigns that perhaps incorporate uh, the latest white paper as an attachment on an email and or, or perhaps a call to action to get prospects to a gated content environment, um, you know, probably everything in between. But um, yeah, now it, it's been proven so many times over the years, just it works so effectively just as a totally separate channel, standalone, everything's so easy to report now. You've just got such a clear and more or less immediate visibility of, you know, cost per prospect engaged, cost per response, cost per lead generated, cost per, you know, and whatever your sales process is, pitch, proposal, cost per closed deal. And I think one of the things that the email outreach does, it just kind of shortcuts, short circuits that whole kind of merry dance of nine content touch points and you know, get them to read the white paper and maybe meet them at an event and they'll have at least one call. You know, actually, you can go straight to a prospect that you don't know. If you have the right approach, then you're straight into a meeting and you're you know, you kind of going right to the finish line. Um, and that's how you've got to look at it because it's just so effective at doing that. I'd be interested in talking for a moment or two about SoPro specifically, because I, I know from having spoken to a number of people how impressed they've been at the process that SoPro has kind of followed and the, the confidence that that gives around, and I'm sure it's different for every campaign, but it's like weeks one, two, three, this happens, then like it moves on to the next step, the next step. And you know that certain milestones, you're much more likely to kind of see a response. I don't, I don't know if that's industry agnostic or if it's, you know, more the case in, in some markets than others, but it's really struck when it goes back again to kind of reducing uncertainty and mitigating perceived risk when you, I guess you're able to say to people, look, this is how it's going to look and, and give a real sense of that trajectory. So it'd be fascinating just to hear you talk about that for a couple of minutes. It's, yeah, it's a really good point. You know, we're in a great place now there. I think um, perhaps sort of four or five years ago when we were sort of starting out and, you know, those early client days where you really define these processes, maybe not so much. And with a, an email campaign uh, like the, you know, like SoPro Deliver, you, you've generally got a sequence of engagement, right? In, in most cases for us, that's going to be a four-stage um, email sequence and, and there's going to be, you know, a number of slightly different messages but you won't send those back to back. They're going to be a, a week or so between each message. And you know, that means your email engagement sequence per prospect is going to run over a period of about a month. So what it means is week one of your campaign, you're, you're, you're sending messages out. You might, maybe you're contacting 50 new people every day, right? But actually week two comes in and you're contacting 50 new people every day, but you're also getting your message twos out to the people from week one. Right. Week three, you've then got three sets of messaging going out. By the time you've got week four, you know, four sets of messaging. And, and at that point, really, from month two onwards, you're at full speed, right? Now, first of all, as you can imagine, the complexity around scheduling of, you know, four sets of messaging and excluding the responders from each stage and everything that, that, that kind of goes into that. So you have to take this kind of super disciplined and system-driven approach to anything like that to keep it working uh, in a watertight way. But then... The fact that, so what I've just outlined there is it takes a month just for your campaign to get up to full speed. You're running at full speed from the start of the second month. It's really the end of month two before you're going to be in a position where you can evaluate results properly because you'll have those month one um, engagements are going to be delivering responses back in over the second month as well. 
Um, and I think it's important that everybody understands that because if you go into a campaign thinking, right, switch it on today, where are my deals, where are my leads? You know, it's I guess it's a bit like most of the other channels out there. You really do need to invest in them. You've got to switch them on, sit back, review, optimize, um, treat them with care and nurture them. And, and, and then, you know, before you know it, you've got a, a hugely effective channel that you really can lean on and rely on. But yeah, there, there is a timeline to get there. So we do, try, you know, that's a big part of our onboarding communication, just to set the scene, what the volume is going to look like, what the likely responses are going to look like, what the likely lead flow is going to come back. And we calibrate all of the expectations against the industry averages. You know, if you, you might be selling into a basket of six different industries, financial services, IT, telecoms, and we've got the average response rates from all of those for similar propositions. You can easily forecast um, you know, pretty much what the lead flow is going to look like off, over that first three months. So, yeah, we, we take a, a pretty scientific approach to it now, but it helps. Thank you so much, Ryan. I knew this was going to be good, but it's uh, surpassed even my um, significant expectations. I'm obsessed with brand and content, but every now and again, it just all comes down to one very specific channel approaching it with the right systems, the right process in the right way. So I um, no, really, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks ever so much for your time. Brilliant. Thanks, Dan. 